we'll go to Exodus chapter 9. Book of Exodus chapter 9. We'll continue right through here in our study in the book of Exodus. Entitled, I Am Still Is. And uh, we continue making our way through the uh, plagues here. And these ten plagues are meant uh, to display God's power and glory to Israel. So that as they head off to the land of Canaan, that they know they have God on their side. And the God on their side is the God who appeared to them in Egypt and delivered them out of that bondage. Uh, But as we're kind of making our way through the plagues again, we're kind of emphasizing here how we identify with Pharaoh at times. And the struggles that we have with sin, but also Christ's power to redeem that condition in our lives. I look forward to sharing more of that with you tonight. Exodus chapter nine, and we'll, uh, we're going to read the entire chapter tonight, a little bit lengthy chapter. And so let's try to stay in tune and I'll try to just read carefully through uh, the entire chapter. Exodus chapter nine and verse number one. Then the Lord said unto Moses, go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go and wilt hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a grievous murrain, and the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is the children's of Israel." And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. But of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, take you handfuls of ashes of the furnace and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains or ulcers, skin lesions upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. And the Lord said unto Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. 
As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go? Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now, and gather thy cattle, and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall not be found or which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and cattle in the field. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch forth thine hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt upon man and upon beast and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and the fire ran along upon the ground and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field and brake every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough, that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. And the flax and the barley was smitten, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was bold. But the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunders and hail ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. The title of our message tonight is this, A Pile Up of Sin. A Pile Up of Sin. May God bless reading his word. You can be seated and we'll get into our message tonight. Every day as we drive around, we're inevitably going to come across some type of car accident. It seems like every day, every single time. 
whether I'm out in Decono or on my way to Boulder or here in Boulder, there's always flashing lights with vehicles on the side of the road that have smashed into each other. You know, sometimes you'll see a single car accident that uh, maybe somebody was texting and driving or they were picking up a spilled drink and so they wandered off the road and ended up crashing into a fence, something like that. Or and maybe somebody fell asleep and landed in the ditch. That happened to me when I was 18 years old. I experienced that. It might be that uh, somebody was drunk and they veered off the road and crashed into a tree or crashed into a pole. Then you come across accidents that involve two vehicles. Uh, oftentimes I'll come into an intersection and you'll see the flashing lights and you'll see uh, one, you know, like a truck or something like, like that big vehicle. And then you'll have this little vehicle and the little vehicle is just smashed to smithereens. And it looks like they, they had to be flying when they ran into each other. And you're just thinking, this is an intersection. I mean, how hard is a green light and a red light to look at and pay attention to, you know? And so you'll see those kind of accidents, two people involved. But then there are times you'll run across a pile up or you might be stuck in a pile up or stuck behind a pile up. This is when multiple vehicles are involved. We remember back in 2019 when that semi truck lost its brakes coming down I-70 and and uh, there was already a traffic jam and boy he just went and crashed in and then there was about 50 cars that were piled up there. But I looked it up and the world's largest pileup took place September 5th, 2011 in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And this, this pileup was a 300 car pileup. 300. <laughs> I can't fathom that. Uh, whenever you hear of something like that taking place, you're just wondering, how does that happen? How fast do these people have to be going that they can't stop when they see? I mean, you just think about it. Like, how does it get from 100 to 200? And how does it get from 200 to 300? You just have this huge pile up. Well, what I found out is that there, it was a very foggy morning, extremely low visibility. And so what happened is probably at the very beginning of this, there was somebody who wasn't driving safe. There was somebody who uh, wasn't uh, paying attention to how foggy it was. And, and maybe they were on their phone texting. That seems to be the cause of most pileups nowadays. Uh, but maybe they were texting and driving or whatever reason. This 300 car pileup took place because there was one negligent driver. Just one. That's all it takes for a pileup. Can I tell you this? That all it takes is one moment of negligence in your life to lead to a pileup of sin in your life. You see, sin rarely takes place in isolation. That one sin leads to another sin, which leads to another sin, which leads to another sin. And before you know it, you've got a whole pileup on your hands of sin. You see, a marriage rarely, if ever, falls apart because of one isolated sin. It's usually a pileup of anger or a pileup of disrespect or a pileup of lust and a pileup of, uh, of fornication. That It's not just all of a sudden a, a, a wife gets triggered or a husband gets triggered and just says, I'm done. No, it usually takes a long time and a pileup of sin to crash that marriage. You think about a teenager who leaves home 
They rarely, if ever, leave home because of just a moment's decision. It usually started with uh, some rebellion in the heart, some rejection of authority, and then maybe it led to some secret social media accounts and some secret friendships and secret relationships, and then all of a sudden they come up with the courage because the sin is piled up in their lives to where they, they're bold enough to just pack up, leave home, and leave everything behind. I've seen a lot of uh, my friends on Facebook posting uh, reports of missing teens from their churches. I'm just telling you that doesn't happen in a moment. It happens when moments of sin pile up in their lives. A pastor rarely, if ever, falls because of one sin. No, it's usually a pileup of sins in the dark corners of their hearts that ultimately piles up and turns into chaos and they end up losing their family and losing their ministry. And it was because of a pileup of sin in their lives. And so before you know it, one moment of negligence can bring sin that begins to pile up in your life, resulting in absolute chaos. Pharaoh, that first moment that Moses appeared to him and said, thus saith the Lord, God of the Hebrews, let my people go. Pharaoh rose up in pride saying, nobody's going to tell me what to do, especially a God that I don't even know. And it was that one moment of sin that has begun to pile up over the last few chapters. And as the sin piles up, so too the judgment of God piles up and there's chaos. The plagues just keep on getting worse. Those first plagues turning water into blood and you got frogs and lice and flies. And you'll notice that none of those things were very deadly to anybody. None of those things afflicted man. None of those things really afflicted beasts in any kind of a deadly way. But as we come to chapter nine, we see a shift take place. That the harder that Pharaoh gets, the more rejecting he gets of God, the more sin piles up and the worse plagues get. Now in this chapter, you've got a, a horrible pestilence and disease breaking out in the animals, causing death to many of the animals. You've got then the ashes being cast up in the air and turning into dust and breaking forth into a boil to where now for the first time man has been afflicted by these plagues. And then ultimately you see hail fall from heaven that is so severe that it kills anyone and every beast that is out in the field. And so what we see taking place here is that this stuff is piling up on Pharaoh. And just when you think just when you think this is enough to turn him, just when it seems like there are signs of true repentance, we find in verse 34 that it says, and in spite of all this, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. And so the sin just keeps piling on and piling on and piling on. And the reason why is because sin does not stand in isolation. It piles up in our lives. What we want to talk about tonight is really this. When does sin pile up in our lives? 
What's going on in our hearts? What's going on in our responses that causes sin not to cease, but to just continue piling up? But then I also want to show you this, how the pileup can be stopped in your life. Because I want you to know tonight that if sin has piled up in your life, you're not hopeless. You're not without help. No, there is a remedy for that pileup of sin. And so I want to show you, first of all, that sin piles up when you don't accept God's word. Sin piles up when you don't accept God's word. What we see here at the start of our chapter is that Pharaoh refuses yet again to take God at his word. God sends Moses yet again to command Pharaoh to let my people go or else he says there's going to be a grievous moraine, a grievous disease or pestilence that breaks out and it's going to be on all your cattle. It's going to be on your cows, your horses, your donkeys, your camels, your sheep. I mean, every single beast is is going to be subject to this pestilence, except for Israel's. It's once again, it's only going to affect the Egyptians. But I want you to look at verse six. It says, and the Lord did that thing on the morrow. So God said, tomorrow this moraine's going to break out upon your beasts. And verse six says, the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And here's what happens. All the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. You know what happens there? God told him, I'm going to sever between your cattle and Israel's cattle. And you know what happened? God did what he said he was going to do. Yet in verse seven, it says this, and Pharaoh sent and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. He sees it's true. God did what he said. The moraine came, the cattle died, but not Israel's. God did every single thing that he said he would do. And yet it says at the end of verse seven, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He did not let the people go. So in spite of the fact God has demonstrated himself time and time again to be true to his word, that when God commands him to let them go, his heart is hardened and he says, no. Not going to do it. And it sets off an even more grievous plague. Can I say this? Sometimes when you get in a pileup, it's because you aren't following the law. <laughs> and maybe you are texting and driving. Or maybe you, you, uh, you entered a lane without signaling. Failure to signal. Or maybe you were going over the speed limit. See, we've got these laws put in place that are designed to prevent pileups on the interstate. And yet what happens is when somebody decides they're above the law and somebody breaks the law and does whatever they want to do, boom, the collision takes place. And then another and another and another, and it's a pile up. The same thing happens in our lives, that God has given us his word that is filled with instructions that are designed to keep sin from piling up in your life. But a lot of times what happens is you can come to the word of God and you can decide, you know what? I don't think that's for me. I don't think that's what it says. I know the preacher preached that, but this is what I've always thought before. And so you begin to go through the word of God and you just say, I'm above the law. I'm above what it says. And so you don't take God's word for what it says and you end up doing things that are against God's word. And before you know it, one sin leads to another, which leads to another. And there's a massive pileup in your life. 
Let's just give a, a few examples here. Let's think about lying. That lying rarely ends with one lie. Now, no, you got to tell, uh, let me just give an example. You know, you're, you're uh, calling your boss and you're like, I can't come to work today. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not feeling great. It's not going well, you know, so I can't make it in. And so now you've told one lie because you're just fine and you want to go to somewhere else or you want to stay home and watch TV. And so now you've told one lie and then all of a sudden your coworker calls and says, hey, how's it going, man? I heard you're sick. You're like, and well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm just, what are you sick with? I, flu, uh, you know, and so now you're giving symptoms that are non-existent. I mean, you know how this goes. And so then, uh, then you end up going wherever you're at with your friends and then your boss happens to be taking a client out to work and boom, there you're at. They see you busted. And now you think, oh, what a, hey, I thought you were sick. I thought you could, you know, it's a miracle. I mean, just. I prayed that God would heal me and boom, God healed me. And I was doing, I'm, I'm doing good now. I'll be back to work tomorrow. You know, you see how this works. It's not just one lie. No, you end up with a pile up of lies. And the Bible just says thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. And yet what happens is when you disregard his words, just a little white lie, it piles up into a bigger lie. The law says thou shalt not commit adultery, but Jesus understood adultery doesn't start with adultery. He says, you've heard that that's what it's been said, but I tell you, whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. Jesus says, no, it's not just adultery. You need to not lust. But see, adultery doesn't just happen out of nowhere. What typically happens is a man gets his eyes off his wife and he starts looking at women as he's driving out and about. And then he starts looking up social media stuff. And then it becomes to harder uh, websites. And before you know it, you got collision after collision after collision. Now his wife isn't satisfying. There's something more than he needs. And meet somebody at the gym or meet somebody at work. And there's a flirtation that starts taking place. And then there's a sneaking around. And then there's a sleeping around and then there's a pile up and the marriage is dead. That's how it happens. It starts before, where, why? Because they wouldn't listen to what Jesus said and quit lusting to, fi to fight that, to resist that with the power of the Holy Spirit. Some think that the Bible sanctions the drinking of wine, that it's okay to drink wine as long as it's uh, in moderation. But the Bible clearly warns time and time and time and time again against the dangers of alcohol. The fact that it's a slippery slope, that all it takes is one drink for somebody to end up an alcoholic. <laughs> no, that's not true. Hey, listen, that people want to say, you know, it's just a glass of wine. It's no big deal. Well, I've never had a sip of alcohol in my life. If I sat down and drank a glass of wine, I would be buzzed. <laughs> I promise you that. Uh, see, what happens is that it's a gateway. Because some people want to drink their wine that they look at it when the Bible says, look not on the wine when it's red. When the Bible says, watch out for wine, it's like a snake that biteth at the end. Yeah, it may not seem like a big deal at the end, but it's going to bite you like a venomous snake. It's going to come back to haunt you. They look at that, they say, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a drink. It's just a drink. It's no big deal. We're a moderation home. I'll tell you what happens. A Christian teenager who grows up in a moderation home it's going to sneak that wine behind your back. And then as they sneak that wine behind your back, that's going to be a gateway for them. So then they're going to start uh, drinking at the parties at school and they're going to start drinking what the Bible calls strong drink. 
higher alcohol content, things like tequila and vodka and whiskey, and and then they're going to go off to college, and then what happens is they end up partying every night on the hill, drunk until they end up with a DUI or end up in the hospital or end up in a morgue. Why? Because some parents wouldn't look at the word of God and say, you know what? God says quite a bit about the dangers of this. I'm just going to make the decision right now. That's not going to be a part of my home. And what happens is because they have not accepted God's word, that sin can pile up, maybe not in their lives, but in their children's lives. Because what the parents do in moderation, the children do in excess. You can say the same thing about gambling. It's just, it's just a sports bet. You know, it's just one. It was just 10 bucks. Yeah, and then 10, 10 bucks, you, you won five. Now you got 15. And so then that begins to pile up and it piles up and it piles up until you lose $10,000 and now your family's messed over. There was one thing after another, after another. Why? Because we don't look at the word of God and say, you know what? There are things the word of God says that I shouldn't do. I'm just not going to do that. Or there are things the word of God says I should do. I'm going to do that. I'm going to apply its truth to my life and let it do its work in my family. Sin piles up when we don't accept God's word. Now, I want you to notice, secondly, sin piles up when you don't accept God's mercy. It piles up when you don't accept his mercy. Pharaoh refuses to accept the mercy that God has been offering him and continues to offer him and his people throughout this text. Notice I've mentioned this already, that as God brought these plagues upon the Egyptians, he has not yet struck any person with a plague. It's all just been natural irritants like lice and flies and frogs. Uh, But What's going to happen here is that God tells Aaron to take handfuls of ashes from the furnace and that Moses is to sprinkle them up into the air in the sight of Pharaoh and that that's going to turn into dust and it's going to spread throughout the land and it's going to break out into a boil and it's going to be on man and on beast and that's exactly what happens. And so now you've got men that have these lacerations, these ulcers and boils all over their bodies and their beasts have them all over them as as well. And what you find now is that Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's refusal to accept God's mercy, to repent and ask God to take them away and do what God says, because he's refused that now, it's having a much greater effect, not just on animals, but on people now. It breaks out even on the, magic, the magicians, and it says on all the Egyptians, So God sends Moses to Pharaoh in the morning and he commands him to let the people go. And God reminds him why he's sending these plagues on them. Look at verse 14. He says, for I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart. Notice the difference there. God's trying to do something in Pharaoh's heart. Yes, we've seen the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. But the intention is this, God will harden Pharaoh's heart temporarily, not permanently. He'll harden it temporarily at times, and then he'll let Pharaoh make his choice. 
That's what's been going on. That's why you see he hardened his heart. The Lord hardened his heart. Maybe it's the plague that hardened his heart. What you see is, yes, God is doing some things in his heart, but ultimately he's still leaving choices to Pharaoh uh, to make here. And what God is trying to do specifically in his heart here, though, is to convince him of who he is. If you continue reading, he says, now I'm going to send all my plagues on thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out mine hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show thee my show in thee my power that that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. He's saying here's my purpose in this. It's not just to afflict you guys. We got to remember this and we'll get to this more in a moment. God's bringing justice on the Egyptians for what they have done to the Israelites. He's bringing his judgments upon them for their specific sin. But at the same time, he wants them to know that my goal behind this is not just to afflict you. My goal behind this is to show you I'm more powerful than you. It's to show you who I am and not just you, but all of Israel and all the earth that they may know that I am the Lord. That's my intent. And yet look at verse 17. He says, as yet exaltest thou thyself against my people that thou will not let them go. You know what he's saying here? I've done all this already. When's it going to be enough? When are you going to stop fighting? When are you going to stop resisting? When are you going to accept these visible manifestations of who I am and believe on me and repent? When's it going to be enough? And so he continues on in verse 18. He says, behold, tomorrow about this very time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation uh, thereof, even until now. God yet again warns Pharaoh that tomorrow this rain's going to come and with it's going to be hail like you've never seen before. But look at verse 19. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field for upon every man and beast, which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home. The hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. Let me point out to you what God's doing here. He's telling Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. This hail is going to come and everyone that's outside and falls under this hail is going to die. I'm warning you right now. And what you need to do right now is you need to send somebody out of the field to gather all your cattle and gather all your servants and put them inside. Do you see what God is saying here? I'm not sending this hail to kill anybody. I'm not sending this hail to afflict anybody. I'm sending this hail to show you my power and who I am. And if you do not regard my word, let me put it this way. God's saying this, I'm extending you a hand of mercy right now. I'm, I, let's remember, God doesn't have to warn them anything. God would have been perfectly just to just send one death plague to them immediately. 
See, uh, many secularists will come to this and they'll say, God is cruel. God is vicious. God is violent. God is vengeful here. But the fact of the matter is we need to remember that the Egyptians were violent. The Egyptians were cruel. They were vengeful. They were vicious. Let's not forget that they were partial birth aborting the Israelite babies. And when that wasn't working, when they couldn't control the population through that, then they started throwing their babies in the river. Can you imagine? Somebody just decides here, not a Boulder Creek, that they're going to go around town and they're going to take every little baby and they're going to throw that baby in the river. I mean, that's disgusting, folks. That's awful. They were beating, oppressing, enslaving, and even killing some of the Israelites. And so before we come to the defense of the Egyptians, we might need to remember that what God is doing here is he's exacting justice upon them. And yet instead of destroying them in a moment, like they did to the Israelite babies, he's being merciful to them. All he did at first was turn river into blood. And they could have repented then. They could have believed then. All he did was bring some frogs. Now, it was pretty nasty. There was a lot of frogs. But he didn't take them out. He, he brought lice. Yeah, that's gross. Then he brought flies that might be grosser. <laughs> and so he's, he's bringing these plagues on them. And you know what happens? When, when God is entreated, what does God do? He takes them away. Why? Because he's merciful. Because he's not sending this on them just to torture them and torment them. He's, he's sending it on them to say, I'm going to bring it when I say, and I'm going to take it away when you ask. And I'm going to give you plague after plague after plague and chance after chance after chance to repent and to turn to me, to believe on me. And you know what happens? Those who regard God's word receive mercy. But those who did not died in the hail. Look at verse number 21. Or verse 20, excuse me. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. And we're going to find out in a moment that whoever was out there died. Moses stretched forth his hand. The hail, the fire, that's probably lightning running along the ground. <laughs> that's scary <laughs> because it's going to talk about how you hear thunderings as well. A lot of times you'll hear fire coming from the sky is oftentimes lightning. And so you've got this grievous lightning and this hail and this rain and it's pouring down. And sure enough, everyone that was outside perished in that but it's not because God was not merciful it's because they would not accept his mercy because they did not accept his mercy. The sin and the plagues kept piling up. Remember one of the dumb games we used to play as kids mercy <laughs> interlock your fingers and someone says go and you start bending each other's wrist, you know, and if you're not careful, you could snap off the other person's wrist and, and it's painful and it hurts and, and, and there's risk there. And the, but the, the only way to get out of that is to cry out mercy, mercy. 
But if you don't cry out mercy and you just continue to let the bending and the pressure apply, you could do serious damage and snap an arm off. Did a lot of dumb things as kids. People are still doing it today. But you know what happens in your life? When you don't accept God's word and you don't accept God's mercy and you sin, you end up in a mercy match with God. And God's going to begin to bend you. And he's going to begin to apply his pressure in your life. And let's remember this. God could snap you in a moment, but he doesn't snap you. He bends and he bends and he offers mercy. If you just cry out for mercy. See, a lot of times we look at God's judgment. Let's remember this. God's judgment really is his mercy in our lives. Because it's not that God is cruel in his judgment. Rather, the picture we have in the Bible is that God chastens his own like a father chastens a child. And understand, when a father chastens a child, his intent is not to hurt. His intent is not to afflict. It is not to break the back of that child. It is to turn that child's heart back to him. And that's what God is doing with the Egyptians. And that's what God does with our lives as well, is he does apply that pressure, but it's not to break us. It's not to harm us. It's to show us he is more powerful than us. And because he is more powerful than us, he's also more merciful than us and more gracious than us and able to forgive our sins when we repent and we cry out for mercy. But what happens when you reject that mercy? You say, no, yeah, I understand Jesus came and died for my sin. I understand that he bled and, on the cross and he suffered immensely for me. And I, I'm thankful that he's forgiven me. I'm thankful that he saved me. But you know what? I, I just like my sin too much. Again, it'd be easy to title any of these chapters a glutton for punishment at this point. And a lot of times that's how we are. Is instead of letting the pressure that God's applying to our lives turn our hearts back to him and to cry out for mercy, we resist and we push back and we continue to fight and wrestle God until we do damage in our lives. And that sin just begins to pile up and pile up. Why? Because our heart is so hard to God because we won't accept his mercy. Mercy is available. He offers it to all who will repent and confess their sin and get it under the blood of Christ. He extends mercy, forgiveness, and salvation to any rebel heart. And that's what he's doing here through these plagues is he's declaring his name through all the world so that all the world might believe and surrender to him to stop fighting against him and to accept his mercy. I mean, time and time again, God is warning them of what he's bringing their way and they're just resisting. And I say they, because it's not just Pharaoh. It says it was his servants. His servants heard the warning and yet they remained out in the field and they died because of it, because they didn't accept God's mercy. When you resist his chastening hand and you either refuse to accept Christ as your savior and receive his mercy, or if you refuse God's mercy, it will lead to greater sin, which piles up in your life. 
So sin piles up when you don't accept God's word, but sin also piles up when you don't accept God's mercy. But I want you to see ultimately that sin piles up in your life when you don't fear God. When you don't fear God. While Pharaoh appears once again to repent, it's not a repentance that lasts. If you look at verse 27, the hail has fallen. People have died. Animals have died. The trees, the herbs are devastated. In verse 27, it says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. What about all the other times before? He don't care about those. This time I've sinned. Then he says, the Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. When you look that up, here's what he's saying. God, not guilty. Us, guilty. That's what he's saying there. And so he is acknowledging some truth here. In verse 28, he says, entreat the Lord for it is enough. God has said, what's it going to take? How long are you going to let this go on before you repent, before you turn to me? He says, it's enough now. Entreat the Lord that there be no more mighty thunderings and, that, uh, and hail, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. He says, fine, I give up. I'll give in. I'll let you go. But look at verse 29. And Moses said unto him, as soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord and the thunder shall cease. Neither shall there be any more hail that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. Moses says, I've seen this before. <laughs> when life's tough, you repent. When God takes it away and life gets easy, you go back to your old ways. I know you're not going to fear the Lord. And so it says that Moses in verse 33 spreads his hands abroad, the hail, the thunder, the rain ceases. Verse 34, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and he hardened his heart he and his servants and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Here's what we find to be true here. Sin kept piling up in Pharaoh's life because he would not fear God. It's good not to live your entire life in fear. But there are certain types of fears that are good for your life. The fear of heights. You don't want the fear of heights to keep you from flying necessarily, to keep you off roller coasters necessarily. But the fear of heights ought to keep you from free soloing, <laughs> from climbing rocks without ropes. <laughs> The, the, the fear of heights ought to keep you from going right up to the edge at Moab with your Jeep. <laughs> because here's what happens is if you don't have a, a fearful respect of heights, 
you're going to go right up to the edge on that Jeep to get just the right picture and down it goes. We don't have a healthy respect of heights and you decide, you know what, I saw that Disney documentary on Free Solo. I'm going to go and try that myself up here at the Flatirons. And you decide, you know, just cold turkey, here we go. I'm just going to start rock climbing, no ropes or anything. You hit some loose rock and you fall off. You go to the Grand Canyon. You're not scared of heights whatsoever. And you, you go up and you, you're right on the edge. I mean, your foot is about hanging off the edge. And you go to snap that selfie and phew, loose rock and down you go. You don't want to be afraid of every height. You don't want that to be the basis of your life. But there ought to be a healthy fear of heights because it'll keep you from walking right up to the edge and slipping off. Let's remember while sin piles up, sin is also a very slippery slope. That if you, you don't want your entire life and relationship with God to be based on that kind of dreadful fear that, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to live my life. You know, I, I think of my dog when I growl at my dog because she tore up all the stuff in the trash and scattered it everywhere. She knows that's not what you're supposed to do. And she ends up. You know, the ears behind the head, the tails between the legs, and she's just walking around through the whole entire house just scared. That's not how God wants you to live your life with him. God wants you to love him. God loves you, and he wants you to know that he loves you. And so you don't want to base your entire relationship with God on fear. But let's just say this. There should be a healthy fear and a respect of God that says, I'm not going to walk right up to the edge of what God says I can do. I'm going to stay back from the edge. I'm going to stay away from it. So I make sure that I don't step off the cliff and start tumbling down to my destruction. I'm going to make sure that I'm not so close to the edge that I have no fear of God and that I'm willing to just do whatever I want because that's when sin is just going to pile up in your life. Sin ultimately piles up in our lives when we don't fear God. When you reject God as supreme sovereign ruler over all, when you reject him and his word as the final authority in your life, listen, if you, you don't fear God, you won't care about God's word, you won't care about God's mercy, you won't care about God's judgment, and you'll walk right up to the edge until you fall off. Destruction. Destruction of your marriage, destruction of your family, destruction of your ministry, destruction of your job, uh, your, your finances and bank account, your walk with God. And if you aren't saved, even your eternal soul will face destruction when you don't fear God. And so the question that we want to ask is this, how can I stop the pile up in my life? That you, you might be here, you might be tuning in, and, and you're not saved. You've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and you know the sin is just piled up in your life, and there's a heavy burden on your shoulders. You know you're not right with God. You know you're facing his judgment, and that bothers you, but you're just wondering, how in the world do I, do I, do I get this pile up off of me? 
Or you might be in here and you're a believer and yes, you've been saved and you're thankful for that, but what you found in your marriage or what you found in your life is that sin has begun to pile up in your life and there's constant guilt and constant shame and you want to do what's right and you're identifying with Pharaoh here that you have rejected his word and you have rejected his mercy and you haven't lived in his fear and and now your life is just piling up and it's about to fall apart. How do I stop this uh, descent in my life. How do I stop the crash? Well, I think it's very simple. First of all, you got to accept his mercy. (laughs) We're not going too deep here. The way you stop the pile up is stop doing the things that cause the pile up. But it begins with accepting his mercy that Jesus came to this earth and he took on the greatest wreckage imaginable that he suffered on that cross and he was flogged and beaten and spit upon and mocked and his blood ran down that cross and he took the pile up of all the sins of all the world and he bore them upon his shoulders as he hung there on the cross so that anyone who will place their faith in him and repent of their sin and call out for mercy shall be saved. He offers that mercy to you. The pile up in your life right now isn't because God hates you. It's not because God doesn't like you. No, it's because God loves you and God has mercy and pardon and forgiveness available to you, but you haven't been accepting it on your own. And so he's bringing things into your life to show you his power and to turn you to his mercy so that you would call upon Christ as your savior. The same thing is true if you're his child. That he's applying pressure in your life and that pressure is meant to turn you back to Jesus Christ. And so instead of resisting, instead of fighting against his mercy, just accept his mercy. The Bible says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Hebrews chapter four tells us, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to know tonight, if you've got a pile up of sin, mercy is available to you. If you'll just accept it. Come to God his way through Jesus Christ. That'll stop the pile up. That'll reduce sin significantly in your life. Why? Because now your relationship with God is not based on the fear of what he might do to you, but the respect of what he's done for you. That now you realize he gave his life He shed his blood and he has forgiven me though I was completely unworthy. And your relationship with God can transition from a dreadful fear to an awesome fear of God to where then you want to serve him. You want to do what's right. You want to follow his word. Once you've accepted his mercy, start building your life on the word of God. That whatever his word tells you to do, instead of resisting, instead of trying to find your way around it, instead of listening to this TV preacher who says this and reading this book about this guy who says this, just look at the word of God and say, if that's what it says, that must be what it means. If it says flee fornication, 
which is all forms of sexual immorality outside of marriage, then I'm, I'm literally going to run from my phone <laughs> when an ad pops up. <laughs> Take it literally. Be like Joseph. Get up and flee and get you out of there. Just take God's word as it says. When, when God says not to drink, just don't drink. But what about, what about this passage? Oh, you mean like from the times of the judges was the worst time in their history? <laughs> what about the passage where God tells the Levites as priests, you're not to drink any alcohol. And in the New Testament, it says, you're a royal priesthood. You can't just claim I'm a priest in one way, but not in the other way. Just take God's word for what it says. Quit fighting it. Build your life on the word of God and it'll stop the pile up in your life. And then live in the fear of God. Not running scared. We're talking about let's have a healthy respect. Let's have a healthy reverence for a God who in spite of our sin and in spite of our rebellion gave his life for us. You live with that kind of fear of God, boy, it'll stop the pile up in your life. And so the reality is this, sin piles up when we don't fear God. But when we'll accept his mercy and when we'll build our lives on his word, and when we live in the fear of God, that'll be sufficient to stop whatever sin is piling up in your life today. So let me just ask you here tonight, what's piling up in your life? What's piling up in your wallet right now? You're like, not money. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Are there ways that you're spending your money that is sinful? Whether it's what you're purchasing, whether it's magazines or certain drinks or certain concerts or certain venues, is there stuff piling up in your finances? Gambling? Is there stuff piling up in your fridge? Piling up in your pantry? Herbs? Oils? Drinks, stuff piling up in your marriage, your ministry, your family. If it's piling up, it's probably because you didn't accept his word somewhere along the line. It's probably because you haven't yet accepted his mercy. It's probably because you haven't feared God. But God's given us a roadmap here, an ambulance to fix the damage that our pile of his cost. And it starts with his mercy through Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what you've done. If you'll repent, confess, and call out for mercy, God will give it to anyone who will regard his mercy just like some of those Egyptian servants did. And the pile up will be stopped in your life. Lord, we come to you tonight grateful for the mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grateful for your love and your kindness and for your chastening hand that brings us to correction 
and turns us back to you. And I pray if there's anyone who's not trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray they'd make that decision tonight to not refuse your mercy, but to embrace it by faith in Jesus Christ. And I ask, Lord, if there's sin piling up in any of us, I pray, first of all, you'd make it clear that you'd turn the sirens on and let us know something's wrong. I pray you'd help us to confess and forsake and to call out for your mercy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.